we invest in a business? We think a bit like when people give money to a fund manager. It's like we're giving our money to Peter and Angus. Will I sleep well at night? I think, yes, delighted. These guys have got this incredible record of creating value, but it won't be in a smooth line. The following is for information purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. All opinions and views expressed by the contributors to this podcast are in a personal capacity only. They do not represent the views of Progressive Equity Research or any other organisation mentioned in this podcast. For today's episode, I'm joined by David Seaman of Alpha Signy Asset Management for a conversation with two mavericks, an entrepreneur and an investor. Angus Thurwell is the co-founder and CEO of Hotel Chocolat and was on episode four in December 2021. Angus has just completed the sale of Hotel Chocolat to Mars for a value of £534 million and has decided to roll most of his stake in the company into the Mars family structure as he sees an increased opportunity for the brand to grow under its new ownership. Gary Channon is the founder and CIO of Phoenix Asset Management. With a disciplined value style of investing, detailed in previous episodes with James Wilson, Gary heads a team that manages UK-listed investment vehicles, Aurora Investment Trust and Castlemau. We are treated to a masterclass in Angus' careful stewardship of his premium-branded chocolate and the culture required to develop its full potential led him to his partnership with one of the world's biggest and most successful family businesses and how Gary's disciplined approach to research and valuation delivered a stunning return by acquiring a 15% stake in Hotel Chocolat after its post-pandemic setback. We cover a lot of ground and discuss the health of the UK stock market, how to think about investing in consumer-facing businesses, and how failing and learning from mistakes is an important part of developing a business, whether in premium chocolate or asset management. Gary also talks about taking the funeral business Dignity private and his latest addition to the portfolio, Churchill China. Please enjoy our conversation with the Mavericks, Angus Thurwell and Gary Channon. This podcast is brought to you by Progressive Equity Research. So, Angus, thanks for coming back to talk to us. We've um, we've got a bit of ground to cover since you last spoke on the podcast, which was in December 2021. Welcome back. We've got lots to talk about. But before we catch up on all that, you've brought a guest with you and just thought it would be nice for you to introduce Gary. Yes. um, So I'm introducing Gary Shannon, who is the founder of Phoenix Asset Management. He's somebody that has advised and uh, given me inspiration in, in different ways and I'm pleased to be a very happy investor in his in his funds as well. So he's yeah one of one of my uh, go to wise heads that I'd like to um, talk things through with. And delighted that he could join us today. His name came up as a bit of a guiding light to how you thought about the IPO and the prospects of taking the the company public, which was a big step and one that you you know you didn't take lightly. I I, I remember some pretty interesting meetings uh, around uh, certain issues at the early stages of the IPO, particularly. Yeah, I, I think it's true that there's never been a, a you know a, any dull chapters in the history of Hertha Chocolat so far. 
And um, that particular chapter was when we we knew we had um, strong growth prospects and we were looking for ways to, I suppose, access more capital to get behind those opportunities. And we'd been approached, as usual, by, you know, myriad people who felt that they could help us. And um, we were evaluating private equity, you know, a couple of specific approaches from, from there. And, and, and Gary was introduced to me by, um, by Andrew Geary. Um, ah, who, yeah. yeah. Who um, is, is somebody, yeah. Who, yeah, exactly. Chairman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our chairman, our designate at the time, I think. And, um, and, and Gary and Andrew introduced the idea of considering an IPO. And, um, and, and that, that was something we hadn't really thought about before. And we could see the advantages of that, both because of our shareholding structure and, and, and the kind of brand that Hota Chocolat is and the ability to excite people around um, the future story. So, yeah, that, that's, that's how we all met. Gary, welcome. What were your first thoughts when you met Angus and heard about his business? Angus is evangelical about his business. I mean, you can't, I mean, the product's lovely enough, but you can't help but uh, uh, be enthused. But what I was, I suppose, struck by was how much they cared about where it would go. Uh, And obviously, I see a lot of founders. Some people want to build family dynasties. Some people want to cash out. They cared about the ultimate home of the business even at this point. So yes, we've got opportunity, we need capital, but the thing that was most taxing them was uh, who ultimately owns uh, the business. I was, I was, I was struck by that. Uh, and that's why I thought an IPO might, might be the route towards getting the capital, retaining that control and, and satisfied with all of the negative things that come with being listed. And then the selfish side that that would actually give us access uh, to the business. So yeah, no, I, I, I loved the business from the from the beginning. Um, uh, meeting Angus and Peter, that was a. I remember that that meeting was. Um, it really did open me up, and then we did some work after that. Really got to know the business, and and that, and that just reinforced what what I'd sort of learned in that room. Often with businesses, the first meeting's the good one, and everything else goes downhill from that. But it wasn't the case with Hotel Shop. But notably, you weren't an investor, as I recall, at the IPO. Well, I know because I was working with Angus on the IPO at the time. So you would seem to, from my perspective, you were this kind of mythical figure in the background. And then, well, where's his money? He, uh, you know, is trying to get a deal done here, Gary. And you weren't, you didn't become a shareholder. We first talked talked about a value because there had been an approach and there were numbers, and we'd done some work and we had a we had an idea of that value, uh, and we were willing to put twenty five million in at that time. And I rolled out one set of advisors. Uh, who didn't do, I don't think, a particularly good job. And uh, then you, I, d- I didn't realize it was you, Jeremy, but then I think uh, Peter and Angus said, can we have someone else as well to compare? And then Lieberman did a much better job, and they're doing it. And at some point, Shane called me and said, you know, realize the, the valuation is much higher than where you're thinking, and uh, which is great uh, for yeah. Angus and Peter, less great for me. So uh, we got, uh, we, we didn't buy any. I mean, and uh, uh, I, got, yeah. I, got, I got two clients instead. Ah, yes, <laughs> but, yeah. but but um, we we have, we have a way, and we have a we have a price discipline, and if you start breaking that, then you don't have a way of you know improving through time. So we, we didn't we didn't break that. The other thing I I said um, to Angus at the time is we'll have our window. It's an entrepreneurial led business; it won't unfold in a straight line. There'll be times, and so we'll be we'll be ready. I didn't know how long I'd have to wait, but but, but I but I always thought that there would be uh, potentially an opportunity in the in the coming 
decades uh, to invest. Exactly. And, and that led me to have this image in my mind of Gary sort of sitting like, like a buzzard on the telegraph lines, patiently waiting and then, you know, rousing himself to, to fly down at the appropriate juncture. Um, but but that, that discipline uh, was, was impressive and that led me to want to in, in, in invest as a family into, into Gary's funds because I hadn't really come across value investing as a, a philosophy before and, and seeing that, that total discipline in action because I, I, you know, we knew that Gary liked the business. We knew he totally understood it and understood it viscerally in a way that other people perhaps were kind of decoding us in a more superficial way. Gary really understood us. And we knew also that we were getting a good you know, debut price. So seeing that discipline in action actually was, you know, was, was quite attractive and de-risking our portfolio away from growth brand driven businesses, well, growth businesses into um, value investing was a you know, seemed seemed a good contrarian way of you know de-risking our personal wealth, I suppose. But yeah, it was, uh, and and then that moment did come for Gary, and he was ready. I mean, the speed with it, which, and it's it's such a great case yeah. study in yeah. value investing that I really want to explore. But can you just catch us up on where we left off from two years ago to the headline moment of Hotel Chocolat gets acquired? by Mars, such an enormous valuation. Can you just catch us up on that two-year period just quickly in terms of what the issues were and how you dealt with them? Really, what happened during the pandemic is uh, it was a, a great performance on the revenue line and in terms of customer acquisition and a demonstration of our agility and cultural resilience. But there's no doubt that it depleted our coffers. We weren't, we weren't able to make um, the same returns on on the on the revenues that we were driving because of the the costs of channel shifting, paying back the the furlough money to the government and all those kind of things. Our our coffers were depleted, and having made a couple of bold moves both in Japan and the U.S. and and seen that the cost of uh, running those businesses was also increased during the pandemic, we we were in a position where we had to make some sensible choices, and those sensible choices were to protect the growth investments in the less risky UK market. So we wanted to continue opening stores, continue expanding our factory. But the more risky uh, markets, which were more nascent, uh, Japan and America, we would try and find a lower capital way of keeping the momentum going, but giving us time to rebuild our, our coffers so that we could then um, you know, revisit it at a later time. So it was about preserving the opportunities the the market at that time was particularly febrile, and uh, you know that message didn't really come across. I mean, no matter what we said, it was Hotel Chocolat has given up on international, and now it's going to become a cosy little British-only business, and all its ambition has just disappeared down the toilet. So, um, so were you, you were surprised how vicious the market reaction to that long-term strategy was. Yeah, I was surprised at how the dumbing down of the message, particularly yeah. by by the media, and, and then that led to a share price drop, which then became the story as a, as a second, you know, kind of dumbed down story. And, and you know, Gary had educated me on, on share price movements being only, you know, a relatively small volume of people deciding, you know, like a manic depressive, whether to buy, buy, buy or sell, sell, sell in, in a, you know, and, and a lot of our investors stayed um, loyal to the business and, and, and hunkered down and accepted that it was part of the 
twists and turns of trying to build a long-termist market leader, global market leader. So um, anyway, we, we managed to put uh, Japan and the US on, on, on different footings, and, and both of them are, are now um, in the game. They're, they're, they're working. Uh, I've just come back from Japan this weekend. Uh, we've got a network of stores there with, with an improved partner. They're funding it all. They're you know, excited about the possibilities as we are. And in America, we've got a, a pure online business that's um, doing very, very well indeed as a layer of um, kind of foundations of how we're going to take that business forward so we were in the mindset of continuing despite you know the share price was you know humiliating embarrassing painful but inconsequential actually to how we were going to run the business we you know we weren't we weren't going to be selling any shares we didn't need to raise any more capital we had enough working capital to follow through on our growth ambitions on a slightly reduced ambitions set and, and then what happened was, um, and this has happened periodically in Hurtashokla's history, we've, we've been approached by most of the people that you could think about in our broad area. And that is, you know, food and consumer goods and, yes, you know, global confectionery as well. And there was a clutch of approaches, all spookily coming at the same time. And obviously part of the appeal was the very low share price. But the other part of the appeal was we'd scaled above 200 million of sales. And we demonstrated through the pandemic a a very powerful agility and a multi-channel approach, which is absolutely unique in the world of of, of chocolate. So the number of reasons why people approached us, and and not not least the fact that premium chocolate is is still growing at double the rate of kind of confectionery. So uh, anyway, I was on the receiving end of multiple inquiries and worked out a very simple protocol to be able to evaluate them. The first protocol was, yes, I'll have a cup of hot chocolate with you in a chat. And I'm looking for some sense of the, the culture being a good fit for our very precious brand, which, as, as Gary uh, referenced, both, both me and Peter have always um, had a, a kind of legacy view of, you know, this brand needs a certain culture and needs a certain environment to, to be nourished. And yes, we could be super rich and very sad by selling to the wrong people, <laughs> but we'd rather be maybe slightly less rich and happy by doing the right thing for the people, the planet and, and you know, our customers. You know, I don't want old ladies spitting at me in the street or something, which, you know, people get very aerated about their, about their chocolate and about our yes. brand in particular. Yes. And I, I, you know, carry that with me. So the first evaluation was, is there any any kind of warm feeling about the culture? And then the second screen test was, okay, well, what's the big idea? What are you going to bring that's additive to what Hota Chocolat can do as an independent business? And, and then the third bit is, well, obviously, the deal's got to be right. And nobody had ever got past the first screen test before, ever, until I met Mars Immediately, there was a feeling of a meeting of minds about what was important in the world and the the way that business is, you know, really long-termist, thinking in generations, not quarters, and backing that as well with bold moves and, and the manufacturing uh, heritage in the yes. business. Yeah, There's a lot of things to like there. And, and the people I met were very similar to Hota Chocolat people. I mean... If we joked about it, you could interchange them, and you know you wouldn't be able to tell who's from which business. So that was that's an incredible to me. 
That's an incredible thing to say. I know, remember, we had conversations at the time about how you grow businesses and keep the culture, which is such a tricky thing to do. Yet here's Mars, which okay, is a different type of business to the one we might be most familiar with. It's privately held and has a reputation for being quite secretive. But be that scale, but to have those cultural values is quite remarkable. I know, and a lot of our time in, inside Hotel Chocolat has been about figuring out how to get past growing pains. Yes. So to start to talk intellectually with, with a, an organisation that has some evidence of being able to overcome those and retain a boldness of action and a can-do spirit and a sense of courage was, was you know, really, really surprising to me and, and you know, eye-opening. And I haven't really seen that in many other organisations full stop, no matter what size they are. Inside Hoda Chocolat, we, we do like to have that sense of, of courage and risk-taking. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it means that there's never a boring chapter in Hoda Chocolat's history. <laughs> But to find that in a, in a much, much larger business was something I never expected to, to see, frankly, and um, hugely, hugely attractive. It begs all kinds of questions. But before we go there, could you just, could Gary just fill in that gap for us in terms of how you saw it and that journey you took from not being a shareholder to at the time of the takeover, you were the largest external shareholder? Okay, well, and we have uh, a sort of a candidate universe, businesses we'd like to own if they were the right price, and we have to keep following that and updating, and that's where Hotel Chocolat was. And some businesses are easier to research than others, and when, when the product is as nice as, as we, we had no, no problem. I, I'd subscribe all over. You're, the, you're, you're in the tasting club. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so we carried on doing, doing our work, and what we do is we, we watch um, business in action. So most of what our team does is, 12 analysts, um, is go out there and watch business in action. Uh, and so well, I suppose what, we, what, what I saw was Hotel Shuffler continuing to build its moat. So, so the stock market is not very well suited to businesses that are built by entrepreneurs like Angus, where, where culture, so, so what Angus just described there, trial and error. So you've got this great big opportunity set, all of the people who might potentially buy the product. It, it's it's uh, self-actualization, so it's right at the, the peak of so you delight people, you have the makings potentially of a great business, but finding that way there requires creativity and the willingness to fail again and again and again. And so, yes, if you've got 100 stores and you roll out 10 more, and you, if that works on a spreadsheet. But if you say, I'm going to keep trying stuff and countries. So what I saw, big opportunity set. I was surprised how smoothly things went through and disappointed, really, in the early years. <laughs> Um, we so, did too good a job for you, Angus. That was the yeah. problem. But, but that constant willingness to try new things, create markets. Nobody, nobody knew the velvetizer was a market. The core model of Hotel Shop, which is, which is a 20, 25% return on the core, the way we would think about it, can, and a very big space in front of it, in the hands of people whose money it was, who've got this long record of deploying it in a, in a smart and intelligent way, but with a willingness to, uh, to risk it uh, with, with failure. Because when we invest in a business... We think a bit like when people give money to a fund manager. It's like we're giving our money to Peter and Angus. Will I sleep well at night? Think, yes, delighted. These guys have got this incredible record of creating value, but it won't be in a smooth line. So there they are. They're doing it. The, the pandemic for us was a great opportunity to see the strength in depth of organizations. So people focused on sales and profits, but without thinking, what do you think happened there? All these shops were there one day. Then they were closed. 
then they're online, sales go through the roof, and they're delivered, and they've got good trust pilot scores. That doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen with a couple of you know, visionary leaders at the top. That's strength in depth. There we saw that, strength in depth. Um, and then, so actually, I think we, we, we were doing an update. I changed the analyst and asked whether she could come up and see the factory. And to Angus's credit, uh, continued to allow us to research the company without an investment. But at that time, shares were trying high. And I think we had a bit of a, a banter about, are we now a value stock? And I said, no, no, I accept we're not, but we're, we're updating our work. So that's what I saw. Here's a business we would still want to earn. And look at the competitive landscape, just wiping the floor with competitors. And is it the real thing, the whole sustainability piece? It's very hard when you're a small part of the supply chain like Hotel Shop is to make a difference back in the Ivory Coast. And most companies would just accept it and that's it, we can't do it. But that constant effort. To... Anyway, so, so there it was. It was the real thing. We'd like to own it. And then along comes a, you know, which happens to all businesses. You don't unfold in a straight line. Uh, but they decide to put it all together. And um, I wouldn't have predicted that much of a reaction if you told me we'll make this statement, where will the shares go? So for, uh, then for us, that's Christmas. And I tried to buy 25% of the company and we managed to buy 15. Um, so despite the, uh, despite the gain from the sale, were you disappointed then that they decided to accept the offer? Well, we have to redeploy that capital. But the, the one thing about giving the money to somebody whose money is as well is that they've, they've, they've got a price that is fair. It is an extraordinary business. I think Mars will do very well out of it. Uh, but the most extraordinary thing here is that Angus has rolled in and nobody gets this. Yes. This is really, really peculiar. You show me another Angus rolling in and the way he's rolling in. People say, yeah, you know, there's an earn out, and, uh, but it'll all change. As, you know, uh, uh, but this, this is genuine. And so he managed to find a buyer, paid no attention to the stock market, looked at the business on its own merits and paid a fair price. Yeah, so it, we, we won't find many hotel shoppers and we can't just roll into, an, into another one. Uh, but we did, get, um, we did get a fair price for our holding. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm now eating chocolate and I can't call it research. Um, <laughs> it's problematic. And also he's true to what he said from the beginning. Is it matters who... So one of the first things Angus said to me when we talked about the deal is that Mars has made this huge investment in ethical sourcing. And actually, you know, where's the payback for them? Where can they, where they, and, and so, so this, is, this is a strange element to talk about to someone who's going to sell their shares, but this, this mattered to him. And uh, uh, so I saw uh, that he'd found, uh, and I, so some eagle-eyed observers had noticed, we put a thought piece out about Mars um, just about three months before. We had no idea. <laughs> and it was about the Mars's super long term, the way they think about just depreciation. This is somebody who's obsessed about depreciation as it happens, but the way they think about it just tells you about the mindset, which is super long term investing, fully invested for the long term, not ignoring. So it was like it, it was the perfect home, I thought, and we got a perfect price. So, yeah, we were, you know, we, we were happy and, and we look like heroes because it all goes, you know, and we make a. We make some return in a short short period of time. But yeah, very disappointed to see it leave the portfolio, if I'm honest. So Angus, this process, was it in it resulted in you committing yourself to the new ownership structure under Mars? But I think Peter, your co-founder, isn't coming on that journey with you. Is that that's my understanding? Um, was, was that was that a part of the reason for thinking about selling or taking this step? I won't call it selling the business, but putting into different ownership structure, or was that just the outcome 
there are other ways of achieving a uh, you know a kind of glorious retirement for Peter, um, who's um, approximately ten years ten years older than, yes, than I am. Yeah. And you know, I did have it on my mind that I wanted to try and conjure something up. But there, are, there, are, you know, there's myriad ways of doing that. So I wouldn't say it was it was a driver, but it ended up being a very elegant kind of solution and and you know a suitably glorious exit, which um, is at an executive level. So so Peter's enjoying his well earned retirement. He's not he's not employed by the business anymore. However, he is also to a much smaller degree being allowed to roll into the next chapter. And I was really pleased about that because I didn't want Peter to have a terrible case of FOMO, which would, you know, yes. um, every every entrepreneur is, you know, susceptible to. So I think we, we struck the, the right balance. And, you know, now, I mean, everybody gets more risk averse as they get older, typically. And, you know, you could probably imagine that there were um, you know, robust arguments about different levels of risk taking as the different chapters of Hota Chocolat evolved, and it was naturally the right time for this kind of thing to happen. But I'm I'm really um, excited about um, investing alongside the Mars family in the next chapter and what we can build together. I mean, the way we describe it is like strapping rocket launchers onto the side of Hota Chocolat. And I mean, yes, some some customers and some media commentators are sceptical and saying, oh, you know, watch, you know, watch everything start to diminish here. All their brand values, all the ethical program will be quietly scrapped. But I've been assuring people that that's not the case. On the contrary, we're going to be able to drive all of our brand values harder. So there's going to be more innovation, more um, more focusing on on you know skills in in the business, and a harder push on our ethical program as well. So actually, I'm saying to people, look, judge us by what we do next, not by what your fears may be. There's, this is this is not a you know an archetypal conglomerate swallowing a promising business and and kind of absorbing it. We're going to be a totally separate new division with protocols and and a mandate. And everybody wants our brand values to be strengthened, um, and and that's what we're. That's our strategy. So you can rule out pet food in Hotel Chocolat anytime soon. Yes, <laughs> um, with, yes, exactly. However, there are there are tons of other synergies um, within the Mars International platform. You know, for example, you know Mars has amazing factories making all manner of things um, which could be purposed to making Hota Chocolat products. And, you know, the, the expertise that Mars has in, in manufacturing going back to, you know, more than a more than 100 years ago in, 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 in Slough, which is arguably how today's Mars business really started. It's, it's actually, you know, I contend really a British business. It, it, it started in Slough and then grew and then took over the the American business and absorbed it in. Yeah, it, you know it all. It's got a terrific and proud history in um, in manufacturing in, in in the UK. So Gary, you're used to this world increasingly now of transitioning between public markets and private markets. You have obviously taken the step most recently by taking control of dignity. How do you how do you see, you know, you're clearly managing investments in listed investments. You seem quite certainly capable and happy 
to take businesses off the market. How do you see the sort of health of the UK PLC? You know, it's obviously a hot topic at the moment. We haven't really talked about the huge premium that Mars paid above what the prevailing public market valuation was of the Hotel Chocolat business. I mean, nearly twice the value, sorry, more than twice the value. How do you view the whole public-private debate? I mean, those are a number of things sort of rolled in, in, in into one. Uh, I mean, the, the UK has, is trouble, suffering from a sort of an international perception issue, uh, partly fairly, you know, uh, earned by people not understanding Brexit, which, which was not really hasn't been an economic thing. It's been an economically negative uh, thing, um, probably even more so by UK institutions over the, the 25 years I've been in the business, just essentially not doing UK investing, just moving globally. And then the UK market being dominated by some pretty terrible sectors, oil and gas and financial services. And who wants those? Those are not great uh, businesses. And so all of that has sort of not makes it an unattractive place. So if you combine that with then businesses who, who might be going through a tough patch, you get some very low valuations. I mean, it's great for value investors, but not if you're looking for a re-rating. You need patient investors with you because uh, the, some of these sectors will trade cheap and keep, keep trading cheaply. I don't know. I believe all these things have their own sort of long-range self-correcting mechanism. And, and what's happened to Hotel Chocolat is part of that. The catalyst to attract value is that people will come and buy businesses. People won't float if you can't get a proper value and people will come and buy them. And, and that will cause some changes or attract some capital. From our perspective, we, yeah, we want to be able to do uh, whatever makes sense. Our job is to put our investors' capital in businesses that earn high returns and earn high marginal returns, and our job is done, run by people we can trust who think we're, we're good at doing it. And by adding the ability to take companies private, we just sort of added to that a, a capability. And I, I will say that I did reach out to Angus and Peter in, in the depths of their despair and said, if you want a home, a shelter, then uh, come to Castleneau. But then what, they said, what can you offer? Well, I, I can't. I don't, we're not sourcing any chocolate. We, don't, we have nothing about manufacturing. So, so nothing, just, just a harbor from the storm. Uh, and Peter said, well, will the shares go back up, do you think, if we stay? And Well, yes, they will. Uh, so I, I, I didn't have much. Uh, but, but had they decided, look, really, I'm just fed up of the market and all of this stuff, then I hope that some entrepreneurs will think, well, actually, this is much more attractive to operate in an environment where, where actually I've got supportive long-term backers and I don't have to pay any attention to the, to the share price. And we want to do more of that. And I'd like to have a, more, more Anguses. Uh, uh, the businesses we have got are turnarounds. Uh, and I, I, I think turnarounds are really, really hard work. And yes. That's very risky. You can start with a very low price, which is what we have. But still, I, th I think we we probably would prefer to do more of the, of the hotel chocolates and back good people and and help something good uh, become great. But I, I haven't given up on the UK market. These things, these will, I think these things will be cyclical. There's a huge amount of entrepreneurial uh, talent within the UK, even more so than when I started. It's much more likely now that someone leaves uni and wants to go into a startup than it was 20 years ago. So. I think we'll have plenty of good businesses coming along and the stock market will be, will be there for them, uh, the, the UK eventually. And it's already happening, I think, beginning to attract attention from people who've, who are struck by its, by its level of valuation. In the AGM last year, you described dignity as the type of uh, investment that you'd you know, waited for for many years. You seem to still have plenty of energy. I mean, 
can your ambition grow from here then in terms of the type of value that you can seek to add as you add capabilities to the group? Uh, yes. I mean, again, it's a business that's in self-actualization space. End of life. It's a very poorly served area. It hasn't contemporized. Uh, it's a huge, huge space. And uh, there, there isn't much entrepreneurial creativity in that area. Uh, we've got a lot of fixing of the plumbing to do to begin with. Uh, but we think do that business well and, and you'll have a, have a great business. Uh, it's a growth space, unfortunately. I mean, the population is growing and, and will uh, will die. But it is uh, there's a lot of opportunity to bring a better service, I think, for end of life. And Dignity is a wonderful platform in which to, which to do that. So, yeah, we, we, we want to do that. It needs a lot of help across a lot of part of the space. Uh, we're in weddings, we're in funerals. And if we see areas that are like that, where we think, hang on, um, look, it could be veterinary services where Mars is. It's an emotive community-based business where if you understand human beings and you understand how good culture can create great businesses, we might be able to apply some of the learnings we've got from the businesses that we own. And yeah, so we'll, we'll continue to progress in that way. I do think we're onto something. Uh, we need to prove that we can do it. And it gives us extra armory when we look at businesses that if we can both buy a, a small uh, piece of a, of a wonderful business or buy all of a, a good business for a fair price and improve it. And we connect the two. If we can hang out with the Anguses and plagiarize their good ideas, we can improve our own businesses uh, uh, with that. You mentioned there uh, a bit earlier, Gary, about having to redeploy then. So the bittersweet moment of you know, realizing the gain on, a, on, on an investment. We note that recently Phoenix filed as a 5% holder of Churchill China, a business I'm only superficially familiar with. It looks like a, a decent enough business at a fair price, at least superficially. What is it that you see there with Churchill? We've been building that stake for a long time. I mean, that's the nature of us. I think we've been buying for two years. Again, we did a lot of work. In fact, we set ourselves up as a restaurateur in order to study that business um, as a customer. So what Churchill China is focused on is providing uh, ceramics to the hospitality industry, so not to retail. And there, there are different uh, characteristics that are important. So how, how durable the product is, but also availability. If, if you have uh, breakages, they need to be able to replace it. So how, how reliable a supply are you? And in the Instagram generation, actually different types of plates matter in a restaurant. People take a picture of the and uh, that, that is a very well-run business. They understand their space. They're growing organically against competitors who are underinvested or owned by private equity. So gradually increasing their, their, their capability. But as a family generational shift over, so the family has gradually been reducing their stake. I think the family has about 30% now. And it's a small cap UK equity gets undervalued. So very well run, now into Europe, haven't really started on North America, but you, you expand one restaurateur at a time. You know, they have Weatherspoons, so every time Weatherspoons opens another one, then there's another customer, but they've got to keep signing up restaurants. We can, we can monitor their activity in the field, but yeah, they deploy their capital intelligently, make a high return, and they have a lot of runway in front of them, and we think the people who run them are very, very sensible. It's just very illiquid, and so we only have it in a permanent capital funds like Aurora. Uh, because um, it would, if it's taken us two years to buy 5%, it, it doesn't lend itself to redeemable capital. Presumably those um, Greek plate-smashing restaurants that make the best customers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you both invest in consumer-facing businesses, particularly in the UK. What is the state of the UK consumer? I don't think that um, this, this sort of idea that um, people have, like, they focus too much on the uh, cyclicality, if, if, if it matters. In nominal terms, consumption has gone up almost every year since the war. 
I think it was one day. Uh, and we report in nominal terms. The stock market's nominal. Nobody reports real earnings. So um, the big thing is where are the shifts you know, of what's happening? So some things are slow moving, some things are, are fast moving. Uh, so, um, you know, consumption of chocolate is a slow moving thing. It's, it's got a, there's a lot of uh, uh, predictability about it. But as we become wealthy as a, a country, premiumization is happening everywhere. People are high low. They have the ability to save money on things and they, they, they access that where it doesn't matter to them. And they, they put their money where things where they do matter. So you see it going on everywhere where the premium piece is outgrowing. Now, in, in luxury, they've kind of overdone it and where they were egregious with pricing. And there's probably a reversal to, to come with that. But I, I think the consumer is plentifully robust. People pay too much attention to the ebbs and flows of the short term. Yeah, I always think about it as the household sort of juggling its expenditure and deciding where the next thing they want to, you know, to go large on is, which, you know, given the emerging premiumization opportunities and all manner of things, as Gary referenced, it means to balance the books, something else has to be taken more basic. And, you know, if, if I suppose getting on on the go food is not highly prized by the family or or they wise up to the fact that Greg's actually does really good coffee and has got some good stuff at, at you know affordable prices then they can switch their expenditure into that freeing up expenditure to then go after other things and and that's where in the consumer space brands can still overperform by innovating by telling the story really well giving great service and actually there's tons of opportunity in the UK space even if we go into recession it's still a massive economy and what is a recession i mean it, you know you're still holding on to 98% of that expenditure um, and it's it's distributed unevenly across the economy anyway so i, I think the media and commentators make a huge hype about this which is massively unhelpful because that actually seeps into the psyche of everybody and makes them a little bit more downbeat than they should ordinarily be. But the good news is they then need a little bit of chocolate to get them rebalanced again. (laughs) I think investors should pay very little attention to the macro story. When we started out, Thornton's uh, dominated the high street in chocolate and Angus had barely got going. Uh, He may still have been Choco Express at that point, 26 years ago. And and you could have done all sorts of uh, chocolate consumption models and worked out but it was meaningless. There was going to be a chocolate market. What you wanted to pay attention to, who was winning? Who's been the battle? And so there's, there's a big consumption pot. And as an investor, you want to look at who's, who's winning, who's delighting customers and growing their customer base and, and who's not. Because uh, when you fail, it's a wipeout. And when you uh, succeed, it's uh, multiples. And uh, the ec- economic backdrop to that is, uh, is noise. It's a good point because I think at the yeah. time of, of the IPO roadshow, the first 20 minutes of each meeting was dominated by Angus and Peter explaining why they weren't Thorntons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to Thorntons in my first year uh, at Phoenix, went to visit them, um, and they were sort of at pains to tell me that they were not C's candy, uh, having seen that we were inspired by Buffett. I didn't know why that was a, why it was a positive. Okay, yeah. But, I did see that they had a big factory and they said, well, we're filling it up by supplying the supermarkets. And, uh, yes. and I didn't invest. So. Well, every time I saw Hotel Chocolat brand in Waitrose, I would uh, send Angus a photo saying, <laughs> are you sure? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Angus, okay. you did a great job of explaining you know, what it was about the institution of Mars that you feel makes it a good home for, for Hotel Chocolat. And Although you've been at pains to preserve the the character of the business that you've built, I guess part of the idea is that it will survive longer as part of a larger institution. So there are changes. It's always been something that has engaged 
it would be difficult, I think, for me to, to figure out. But when it comes to our own business, the business of asset management, you know, if we institutionalize a creative business, which I guess you could argue asset management is to a degree, it almost has the opposite effect, you know, that, that rather than making it uh, live longer, we can almost threaten to sort of put out the spark that makes it value added in the first place. So given, Gary, you've been such a close observer of Hotel Chocolat's journey and, and many other investment cases, you know, we're very interested in you know, how your thoughts about your own business, perhaps, get affected by what you learn from observing entrepreneurs like, like Angus. Cultures do struggle when they lose founders. So they, they need to have, they need to be handed over to people who share the culture and preserve uh, the culture. So Hotel Chocolat hasn't become what it is on the basis of just Angus. So there's, there's a team and there's a way of working. And so uh, can you institutionalize that? Well, if you have the right owner and they allow it, they provide the, the supportive stuff, which is the capital and the umbrella from the external distortion. Then what, you've got a different type of business there. You've got a, a sort of a product and a service, and you've got 9 billion people, most of who don't even know or don't have access to it. So that's a lot of runway. You could see how that could become a much bigger, bigger business. Can they hold on to the values? Well, that's where it's going to matter. But I definitely think Angus has more chance of achieving that than Ben and Jerry did. Because Unilever is a PLC and the, and the people who bought the business are no longer there. And you're going to deal with different people. And that's not true of the Mars family. You're going to deal with the same, same, same people. You've, you've got a, a lot more chance. Asset management is very different, I think. It, it, we want to institutionalize it and make it as much process as we can. Uh, but it, it's a bit like football, that the value or investment banking, the value accrues to the employees, not to the owners. And um, so I think the best asset management businesses have always got to be employee owned or if you're invested in them, it's got to be a co-ownership model because as soon as you break those two apart, you get, a, you, you get this uh, incentive. It's always going to be more rewarding for someone to leave and set up on their own than it is to work for a large institution. So, so uh, I think asset management is very different. Unfortunately, if I, if I was really thinking about to building a large pot of capital, I should have probably chosen something more like chocolate or something something you can sell, rather than uh, you know something that's more like dentistry that you have to you know have to shut up shop. But we are trying to build something at Phoenix that has legs, and really that will come from having people who can perpetuate what we do, build a culture, uh, but ultimately stay employee owned. I think. Well, having heard you talk and having previously had James on a couple of episodes, actually, I can definitely sense a high degree of difference from mm. what you're doing at Phoenix to most other fund management, asset management organizations I've come across. Yeah, we, 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 we think we're different, um, but also we're learning at a rapid uh, pace. We're, we're evolving at the pace at which we make mistakes and they are plentiful. We are going to be a product of our culture clashing with our opportunity set. Uh, so we will keep evolving. I think the moment we stop and think we've, we've figured it out, it'll all It'll all go down, but um, yeah, uh, asset management is a is not one that's easily owned at an institutional level. But this is really about Hotel. I do want to say I think it gets lost on people just how extraordinary it is a business like Hotel Chocolate. I don't know how many chocolate businesses have been started because we track the world. We see I see lots start. So you think this is they're under threat? Or, or someone's always sending me the latest one. They'll look at this business here in Bristol. Look at this business here, and uh, so most fail. It's an extraordinary outcome to build something like that. And there'll be a there'll be hundred other people who seem to start in the same way and failed. 
and it's hard to follow the failure stories because they don't, don't get covered. But what's happened at Ho Chi Minh is truly extraordinary. However, and Angus will probably have his own view of this, the best days may be yet to come. Uh, this, and unfortunately, we won't be able to share in the financial rewards, but I, I, uh, I think it's, it's very interesting what's going to happen in the next 20 years. We'll be watching it closely. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. Um, I very much feel like we've written sort of like volume one of Herta Schokla's business history. And now we're, it's less a new chapter. It's, it's, it's volume two. And um, I look forward to getting stuck in. And uh, we do really feel like we're at the beginning of just something that's going to be amazing and, and a lot of value creation, a lot of fun. And it, it takes a long time to, to mobilize the momentum and get the lines of trajectory all pointing the right way so that the opportunity set is actually teed up. And the last thing I want to do is, you know, go back into the locker room now that I've, you know, got that opportunity teed up. I want to play on the pitch a bit longer. Well, you so seem just as excited about back it. Five yeah. years and update you, and um, when we yeah. persuaded Mars to buy Phoenix, <laughs> <laughs> Mars moves into asset management. Yeah. Well, yeah, Angus, you you certainly sound as if not more excited about the business and your opportunity within it than you did two years ago and you were very excited about it then so uh, that's fantastic and probably a good place to finish so thanks very much really enjoyed the conversation and hopefully we can have another catch up in the not too distant future thanks a lot thank you thanks, thank you. thanks guys this podcast was brought to you by progressive equity research 